Bibles to Daniel with the time that we have left this morning. Daniel chapter 2. We began our study last week in Daniel. As I said, uh, as a church, we've never been in the Old Testament. Uh, we've primarily been in the book of, or in the, the New Testament. But I want to just take a moment to reveal to you what Scripture says about the Old Testament Scriptures. Um, Paul wrote in uh, Romans chapter 15, in verse 4, he wrote this, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we, through the patience and the comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. Everyone that walked before us by faith whether it was Abraham or Daniel or Moses or any of the unknown characters, you know, uh, any of these characters, they, they were real people living in a real time and they had what they had known from God as he revealed it to the nation of Israel. And as they had all of that, we watch and we read their lives and we go, okay, what is this all about? I thought the New Testament basically fulfilled all these things, and so it's all about Jesus now, and it wasn't then. But really, all of those things were types and shadows that led up to Jesus Christ fulfilling the law. As we read this morning, we read in Deuteronomy, if you're reading the Bible study together, about all the curses of the person that would have wrong relationships with other people. And one of the questions was, what are the common things about all these these things that become curses to us? Well, they were all man breaking God's commands. And when we break what God has told us is good and we disobey those commands, then there is a curse on us. There are consequences for our sins. And so in the Old Testament, we see these people walking by faith without as much light as we have been given, and yet they were faithful. Daniel didn't have a relationship with Jesus through the blood on the cross and forgiveness of his sins, what he had was a relationship with God through his holy law that would make him different than all of his peers. But he still had to do it by faith. And so in in the book of Daniel, we've seen that Daniel was, him and three of his cohorts, his buddies, were taken from their land into a foreign land filled with idols and sin and foreign gods that were not true gods. They were ungodly and yet they were worshipped as gods. And as we look at Daniel, we see that he's already in the first chapter shown himself to be so totally different than the rest of his culture. He's shown himself to not... He Read chapter 1, verse 8. It says, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies. He was put in a training program to be an advisor to the king. And at this time, this wasn't just like a president. King Nebuchadnezzar had more influence on the known world than any other king at that time had. This was the ultimate position. To be, if you can't be king, you want to be second to the king. You want to be an advisor to the king, a cabinet member, we would call him in our society. So Daniel was given this opportunity in a training program with himself, his three buddies, and about 10,000 other people. 10,000. It wasn't just him and about 10 people. So I read this the first time. I was thinking, okay, so we find out at the end of chapter 1 that at the end of the days, verse 18, which was about three years of training, think about it like college, when the king had said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought in all of these candidates, 10,000. Some estimate even 11,000. 
And it says there that the king interviewed them. The king himself interviewed these young men from all these different nations that Nebuchadnezzar had gone in and conquered. These are all captives. So the best of their life is going to be a slave, maybe, but they're all taken from their land to this land in Babylon. And these guys have been given a front row seat to possibly at least have a good slavery, if that makes sense. They were going to give, be given a prominent position, even though the circumstances weren't great. They could eat at the king's table, if you were. And so it says the king interviewed them, and among them all, all 10,000 to 11,000 people, says none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they served before the king. They were chosen. They were chosen. Nebuchadnezzar interviewed and looked at all of these candidates and picked out what we know to be four of these guys. And it says in verse 20, in all manners of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them to be, look at this, 10 times better than all the others. All the magicians, the astrologers who were in his realm. Thus Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. And we know this to be after his three years of training, basically 67 more years. He was given influence over the kingdom of Babylon for 70 years. What set him and these three men apart from all the others? Back to verse 8. Daniel purposed, he made a conscious decision that he would not defile himself. He wanted to be right before God and with God. And if there's anything that I can encourage you, is this is the decision of your life. Are you willing to not defile yourself with the things of this life in order to serve a king that you can't see like they could see Nebuchadnezzar? To serve King Jesus. King Jesus is the most influential king if you let him be. And so they chose, they purposed not to defile themselves, and they were even offered the king's meat. This wasn't rallies. This was like whatever your favorite steakhouse is every night and the best wine that their kingdom had to offer you. The best. And Daniel said, no. Why don't you give me vegetables and water? Now that takes faith for anybody, especially a red-blooded American. You don't want no vegetables and water. Give me Colton's. Give me, you know, Texas Roadhouse. Like, but he said, I won't defile myself. Now we talked about that last week. You know, these animals were offered to idols and they didn't have the blood drained out of them. And I, I love this in the law. Many times we question, like, why did God not allow them to eat certain things? Because God in his infinite wisdom knows about the little microbes and the things that carry disease that were in shellfish, that were in some of these meats that they were eating in these foreign nations. He wanted his people to be healthy. And they didn't have any refrigerators. They didn't have any way to preserve these things. And so he's like, look, don't, just don't eat them. Don't eat them. Why not? God, just, just obey. God has your best interest in mind, even if it's these little organisms that can grow in chicken you know, or whatever the thing is, God has our best interest. He wants to keep us healthy. And he did that for the nation. And if they would just obey, there were blessings involved. Some of those blessings where you just don't get the flu after you eat. And so here we are in Daniel chapter 2. It says, In the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, 
Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. You ever have your sleep leave you? You can't sleep at night? You ever have bad dreams? I have. And in those dreams, they, they can really get you wired. They can keep you up for hours. Um, Nebuchadnezzar, a king, one of the most prominent kings in the world at the time, was still subject to dreams. He was still subject to nightmares. He had night terrors, as they call them. You know, he probably had sleepless leg syndrome. You know, it, we're all, uh, there's not one person under the sun that's not subject to some of the things that we befall because of the fall. And in this case, it seems like God was trying to speak to him, trying to stir up in him a hunger for answers to the deepest questions. So verse 2 says, Then the king gave the command to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. This was his advisors. He wanted answers, and so he went where he always went. He went to the people that he surrounded himself with. We look for answers from the people that we trust and place around us. And in this case, he drew his wisdom from magicians, astrologers, and sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came and they stood before the king. Now notice what it says there. He wanted them to tell him what he had dreamed. Makes me wonder if he was just like us. Uh, we dream something, it shakes us up, we wake up, and moments later, we don't even remember what it was. You ever try to do that? Tell somebody what? I had this worst dream the other night. Somebody will say, well, what was it? I, I don't know, but I woke up in a cold sweat and I didn't like it, you know? Well, King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. Some believe he didn't re remember what it was, and that's why he's going to ask them, what was my dream? Uh, but whether you believe that or not, he doesn't just want to go to these guys and say, hey, tell me what this dream means. He says, tell me what I dreamed, and then I'll know that you can give me the interpretation. And so notice this. They came and they stood before the king, and the king said to them, I've had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. It says that he was troubled and his sleep left him. What does that word troubled mean? Troubled means to be pressed in upon. And in some cases, it means to be beat upon, to suffer from the outside, um, to be disturbed by something. You ever been disturbed by something? I've read a bunch of posts on Facebook. People are going to see the movie It, you know, and It came out in, what, the 70s or the 80s, first time. Uh, I never have watched horror movies. Um, if you're into that, that's your own thing. I'm out. I have nightmares with my own thoughts. I don't need something contributing to that. But how many people do you know that are like, they see a clown and they're like, uh, that creeps me out. And it should. Some stranger with makeup and, you know, but that's a whole nother deal. But you, you, you invite them to your kid's party and then they make balloon animals and you pay them money. I, I'm creeped out by that. Um, <clears throat> but that said, it, it disturbs me and it should disturb you. There are things that are on the news that should disturb you that don't anymore because you're used to hearing it. Things that are going on in our world should disturb you and cause you to lose sleep. If you have sleepless nights, pray. Don't take something, pray. Because the world we live in should be scary. It really should. It should you shouldn't be comfortable in it. This is not home. It, it, so... Here he is, uh, Nebuchadnezzar himself is disturbed by his dream. 
And so, verse 3, a king said to them, I have had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. Verse 4, then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in the Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will give the interpretation. <laughs> no, no, tell me my dream. I didn't, I'm not giving you information. I want you to tell me what I dreamed, is what he's going to say. He says, the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, my decision is firm. And if you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretation, you shall be cut in pieces and your houses shall be made an ash heap. He was serious. King Nebuchadnezzar did not mess around. We read these stories and we're like, oh, he's a character. No, this guy was a tyrant. He would burn people for fun and watch. He didn't have somebody do his bidding. He would watch while they burned to death. And if you've ever seen, uh, God willing, you haven't, but if you've ever watched a movie where there's torture or something going on, I hope, it, I hope there's still in you a desire to look away and go, I can't, I can't look at this. But he says, he says if you don't do this, uh, there's consequences. However, if you tell the dream and its interpretation, you will receive from me gifts, rewards, and great honor. Therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation. Now, you can see here that it, if you don't actually know the answer, if you don't actually know what he dreamed, you might want to keep your pie hole shut because it's not going to go well for you if you don't answer correctly. So you could imagine this group of people that are in this cabinet going, okay, what are we going to do here? It, we better know the right answer. And it seems that they're a little hesitant to just haphazardly throw out a fortune cookie, you know, to give a little vague saying. He says in verse 7, it says, they answered again and said, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will give its interpretation because that's what they would do. They were advisors, but they really didn't have anything to offer. They were just well known for having wisdom. In some cases, these people would, they would kill a sheep, they would pull out its entrails, and they would read the intestines somehow. I don't know if they like, were still moving, and they're like, oh, they moved to the right, that means this. I don't know. It's really creepy, but uh, think about it. Uh, they had that, and then they had astrologers. Now, we laugh at that because we're like, what do you need astrologers for? But every time I open up the paper, guess what's in there? Horoscopes. You know how many Christians, according to a recent poll, follow horoscopes? 7%. You think, okay, well, that's only 7%. That's over 12 million people. That's over 12 million Christians that follow horoscopes. And these are professing believers. And so where do you get your wisdom from? Uh, astrologers look at the stars, they align, line them up, and they somehow they, they read them, and they come up with these projections. The stars are telling us what we need to know. But let me submit to you that that's no way to find answers when we have a God who desires to speak to us. And so it says they answered, and they, they pleaded with him again, and the king answered them again and said, verse 8, I know for certain that you would gain time because you see that my decision is firm. In other words, you guys are just trying to buy time. You know if you answer me incorrectly, you're all going to die, and we're going to burn your houses down. So you're just trying to buy time to hopefully get to live a little longer. He says, and I know you would buy time by not doing so. He says, if you do not make known the dream to me, there's only one decree for you. For you have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the time has changed. Therefore, Tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can give its interpretation. And the Chaldeans, 
answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. Notice what they say. They actually have a a good theology. There's not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. And that's the truth. There is not a man on earth that can answer your questions about what life is really about. The only man that can answer those questions is the one that came to earth from heaven, and that's Jesus himself. He says, Therefore, no king, lord, or ruler has ever asked such things of any magician, astrologer, or Chaldean. Well, maybe they should have. (laughs) Maybe they should have. If they would have asked that question, perhaps they would have found out sooner that their gods were not truly gods. Maybe they would have found out sooner that the only answers to real life can be found in one God, and he's living, and he's desiring to speak to us. It is difficult, verse 11, excuse me, it is a difficult thing that the king requests, and there is no other who can tell it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. Now, isn't it great that we now know the God who does not dwell with flesh, but did come down to dwell amongst us? You know, we we get all these foresights of how God was going to come down and meet us in our situation. Verse 12, for this reason, the king was very angry. And if you have the King James, I think it says exceedingly angry. His anger was overflowing. You ever had your anger overflow from you? There's this bubbling up and then there's like this tea kettle of, ask my wife, she's seen it. He's angry. Everybody run. You know, what in the world is his deal? But that's Nebuchadnezzar. He was overflowingly, exceedingly angry. He was overtaken by his anger. And he gave the command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. He says, that's it. You're done. No more chance. Verse, excuse me, verse 13. So the decree went out and they began killing the wise men and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. So verse 14. Then with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Arioch, the captain of the guards who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. So imagine, God's, uh, start over. Nebuchadnezzar has sent out his cronies to go and kill his wise men. So it's a process, right? It, you know, if you live close to the king's house, you're done first. You know? Now, we know in our kingdom, if we're closest to the king, we're, there's more blessings. But if you're closest to the king Nebuchadnezzar, if he signs out a decree to go and kill his wise men, uh, you're the first to go. And so because they're the first to go, Daniel's got some time. This servant, Arioch, shows up and says, hey, I'm here to kill you. Now, what would your response be? It says that Daniel's response, he says, with counsel and wisdom, he responded. He doesn't respond excuse me, he doesn't react and run. He doesn't say, you can't kill me, get off my lawn. He answers with counsel and wisdom. In Proverbs, it actually says that. In Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So Daniel answers with wisdom. He answers collectively. He answers, he he thinks before he speaks. Isn't that great? We need leaders who think before they speak instead of just spewing out whatever momentary comment comes. And that can grow in that. But what he says, he answered and said to Arioch's, excuse me, Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree from the king so urgent? 
Why all of a sudden is he killing us all? And Arioch made the decision known to Daniel. So Daniel doesn't know what's going on, gone on in the king's court, but he just knows that this guy showed up to kill him. He's like, why is this decree so urgent? Why do we have to act so hastily? And so Daniel uh, then gets to hear, this is what's going on in the king's mind. This is what's going on in his world. He's had these bad dreams, and he wants to know the dream, and he wants to know what it means. And so he answers and says this. Arioch answers him, gives him the reason why his head is on the plate. In verse 16, Daniel went in to the king. He doesn't run from the king. He goes to the king. This is, this is pretty courageous, because I guarantee he's scared. Because his life is on the line, and rather than saying, well, I'm going to go hide somewhere, he says, I'm going to go to this. I I need to find out what's really going on, because I I think this might be an opportunity. How many of us, when we get scared, we run away from the situation? Would it be that we would have a heart like Daniel that says, wait a minute, this risky situation, this horrible circumstance, this unwarranted, undesire situation, perhaps it's an opportunity for me to serve God and reveal God to these people that don't know him. So Daniel goes to the king to give him time. Verse 16, Daniel went in. He didn't ask for the dream. He went in and asked the king to give him time that he might tell the king the interpretation. So he went in, he asked the king, and then verse 17 says he went to his house. Daniel went to his house, made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and then he calls them to pray, verse 18, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning the secret so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. See, they're trying to save themselves, but at the same time, they're trying to answer what their boss has asked them to do. How many times have you had a boss ask you to do something and it seems impossible? I've had a bunch. Because I'm learning my job on the fly. I don't know anything about tools, and so I always have to do research. But one of the things I do the least that I should do the most is pray. The God of heaven can reveal to us what we need to know to do our job and show ourselves to be 10 times better than all the other workers around us. Do you know that? Our God wants to be involved in our jobs. That's why he put us there. He wants to reveal his character to wherever you work, whether it's at home with your kids. He wants to show his character to your kids as you find out how weak you are and how little you know about parenting. He wants to show himself strong in the school district. He wants to give you wisdom that everybody else goes, where did you get that? And then you can say, you can answer the question that they asked, I got it from Jesus. Jesus is the source and the sum of all wisdom. So he answers them. He he goes to the king. He then goes to his house. He talks to his brothers and says, let's pray. And then verse 19, look at the result of this. Verse 19, then the secret was revealed. They sought the Lord, and God gave them answers. James chapter 5, verse 16, the the second part says, uh, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. It accomplishes what we desire. Luke chapter 11, verse 9 through 13, 
Jesus says, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Be fervent, consistently asking for wisdom. But we can't do that until we realize we don't have it. Philippians chapter 4, he says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, through prayer and supplication, seek the Lord, so that the peace of God that makes no sense would guard your hearts and your minds until the day of Christ Jesus. I look at Daniel in this story and I go, he's got peace that I, makes no sense. His life is done. The, the king's already said, kill him. Kill them all. Cut them. You know, whatever show you're used to watching where they're going hunting, cut them. You know, that's, that's what he said. But he's saying this about human beings, human lives. And Daniel has this calm, collective confidence. Let me submit to you that confidence doesn't come from him thinking, ah, it'd be all right. That confidence comes because he's already been beseeching, begging of his king to protect him and to give him wisdom and insight. So verse 19, the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. He gives him a a dream. So Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, blessed be the name of God. So he gets the answer and he doesn't just go use it. He worships. We get a little insight into how Daniel worshiped. Daniel answered and said to the Lord, see, there's different aspects of prayer. We, we focus in on the talking part, but God, Daniel spent some time waiting for an answer here because the Lord gave him an answer, and then he responds in worship. Many times we come to worship when we're like, I'm singing these songs, but I don't really know why, and, and the Lord's like, well, spend time in prayer get answers from me, have communication with me, and then in response to his answers, (laughs) you're going to have some worship going on. You're going to have some thankfulness in your heart. You'll just be overflowing rather than with anger like Nebuchadnezzar. You'll be overflowing with thanksgiving. And so it says, Daniel answered and said, blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. He changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and he raises up kings. He sees God as over Nebuchadnezzar. God's in charge, not Nebuchadnezzar. So I can trust him. And I can trust that if he allows me to work for Nebuchadnezzar and my life gets taken, it's time. But if not, I will be able to show that God is mightier. He removes kings and raises kings up. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness, and light dwells with him. He knows what's going on in the darkest areas of your life, even though he's surrounded by light. He knows what's going on in the darkness. I thank you, he says, and I praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might. That word is strength strength. He says, you've given me wisdom and strength and have now made known to me what we asked of you. You answered our prayer. Thank you. How many times has the Lord answered a prayer that you had and you just spent some time thanking him? For you have made known to us the king's demand. So therefore, Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went to his executioner And he went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me, 
before the king, and I will tell the king the interpretation. Don't destroy me. No, he says, don't destroy me and all those others who are wise men of Babylon. He's talking about Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and anybody else that hasn't been killed yet. It's interesting because I was reading this this morning. It made me think of a passage in 1 Timothy chapter 4. In verse 12, it says, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. Till I come, give attention to the reading, to exhortation, to doctrine, and do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Remember in chapter 1, verse 18, it says, At the end of the days when the king had said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. But then down there in, uh, excuse me, verse 17, I was way off. These four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom. This is a gift of God. If you have knowledge in anything, if you have skills that you can use your hands to do, these are all gifts from God. But then he says, and Daniel had been given an extra gift. He had understanding in all visions and dreams. So you understand that? He understood his purpose and his gifting. And so when this guy comes and says, I'm here to kill you because no one can interpret the king's dream, he goes, wait a minute. God's gifted me in that. That's my deal. Let me go talk to the king. Okay. He doesn't just use it for himself. He uses it to save the lives of these other men that are ungodly. But look at this. Back in 1 Timothy, I know I'm kind of all over the place. He says, do not neglect the gift that is in you. If you know what you're gifted to do, don't neglect it. Use it. Sharpen it. Get better at it. And then he says, this gift that was given you with the laying on of hands of the eldership he says, meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress will be evident to all and take heed to yourself and to doctrine. Continue in them for in doing these things, you will save yourself, which is what Daniel's doing. His life is going to be spared because of this, but you will also save those who hear you. There will also be those who follow with you and will be saved by what you do in obedience to the Lord. And so back to Daniel he gives the interpretation using the gift of God. And then as a result of that, he saves not only himself, but all those that are in his same position. Then Arioch quickly brought Daniel before the king, verse 25, and said thus to him, I found a man of the captives of Judah who will make known to the king the interpretation. And the king answered and said to Daniel, whose name he had renamed to Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen? and its interpretation? And Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, the secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king, but he doesn't attribute this to himself. He says, but there is a, there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head upon your bed were these. I'm going to leave you with that. We're going to stop there to be continued. Next week, we'll get into the dream. But here's the deal. Read it this week because it's, it's heavy. There's a lot to it. But what I want to submit to you is that you, as a child of the king, 
you in fact have a relationship with Jesus, you've been gifted for specific purposes. Do not neglect those gifts. Don't hoard them to yourselves. Let your light so shine so that when others see your good works, they would glorify your God in heaven. And perhaps some of them, hopefully all of them, would actually come to know the God that you serve. So, let's pray. Father God, we are humbled by this word. We're thankful for Daniel. Not only was he faithful, but he was fruitful. And so, Father, help us as your servants to be faithful. We can't do that without you. But Father, please produce fruit in our lives. If we live this whole life and we are saved by your grace through faith and no one else knows about it, then we're missing it. And so Father, um, help us not to be scared by challenges. Help us not to be scared by the things that scare us. Help us to see those as opportunities for you to shine through us. Father, make us willing servants. Help us not to count our own lives so dear to us that we're not willing to lay down our lives and do what you've gifted us to do. We love you, Lord. We thank you for this opportunity. Bless my brothers and sisters as they disperse from here today, as you send us out into our mission field. Lord, help us to pray for those opportunities and help us to take advantage of them even when it might cost us. You did that for us. How can we not do it for you? In Jesus' name, amen.